Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, with a bit of further ado today, I realized that we hadn't told our listeners that we do exist on social media, but I was reminded by our main anime trending podcast people that I should. So before we start, I do want everyone to know that we are on Twitter. Um, our handle is at GirlTaku uh, underscore AT. And basically, it's mainly me, Gracie, tweeting. Um, and I'm usually just tweeting about random thoughts I have in regards to certain anime I'm watching for the season. So that so my more current thoughts or of the more currently airing season tends to be more on Twitter. And obviously our podcasts are delving into all kinds of sort of topics. So now without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about the most romantic scenes we've seen in anime. The ones that just really, really make your heart grow warm and, you know, maybe you squeal a little or you just like sort of cuddle up and hug yourself because it makes you so happy. It's time for us to share our romantic moments in anime that's really stuck with us. So, Isabel, today you're the one who's starting us off. Introduce which anime the romantic scene comes from and then just go ahead and describe the actual romantic scene that's happening and, you know, why you loved it so much. <laughs> okay, yeah. So the first anime I want to talk about is Blue Spring Ride. Oh, ah, okay. Is... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I quite like that one back in the day, and it's really cute. It's a romance between the two high schoolers, Futaba, who's the girl, and then Cole, who's the guy. And they basically, basically had crushes on each other since middle school. But uh, since entering high school, uh, Cole basically moved away and kind of disappeared. So they had that connection in middle school. Um, and then when they meet up back in high school, they are actually kind of two different people. Yeah, so... They don't know what happened to each other, and more so, Futaba doesn't know what happened to Cole because he acts kind of cold and he's really complicated, really. He kind of teases her a lot, so she's very confused because she thought, you know, they had something in middle school. And she thought that that would carry over, so she, like, even still calls him by his other, like, last name uh, before mm. his parents' divorce and stuff like that, but she didn't really know that. So, you know, she just wishes she could find, you know, the old, the old him. But uh, the most romantic scene, uh, probably, I like a lot of the scenes in the anime because like ever, like from the first few episodes, they, they're not actually like a couple or anything like that, but maybe because they were so close back in middle school, they actually feel comfortable kind of like touching each other, which I found interesting in that. Oh, anime. like early on? Yeah, like early on, like huh. in... I would say like the second episode, so the first scene. Okay, so the first scene that really struck me, and I, I that made me want to watch more of Blue Spring Ride was this. I think the second episode or something, where Futaba's kind of freaking out because she's crying over the fact that she lost her friend, or she got into a fight with her friends, and Cole is just like sticking his head out from the window, and she Futaba doesn't really want to talk to him, but she starts crying, and but then she sees other people approaching her, and she doesn't want anyone to see that she's crying. And so Cole just like grabs her head and pulls it closer to him. And they're not in a relationship or anything. Literally, they've only been talking for maybe two, two days or something. But yeah, I thought that was super, super kind of him to do that. Also kind of weird because Futaba's freaking out. <laughs> but I thought it was super cute. Well, she really only had 
two choices, you know, either let people mm-hmm. see her cry or, you know, accept the help. So, <laughs> yeah, so that was a nice coming from him. Um, but the but the scene is probably closer to the end of the anime where, you know, Futamba realizes what happened to Cole and his family situation. And she basically hurls him over the river riverbank. And I think it's, I don't know, it's probably not rainy because they're like crying and stuff, actually. Um, because she finally understands what he has been through, but I don't know what he says, but it's more something like he doesn't want to share it with anyone or he doesn't really have like a purpose um, in life. But then she points out to him that, you know, you've made all these friends throughout these series and I care about you and stuff like that. So she's very forthcoming with her confession towards him. And it's just so nice that he, like, I've never really seen, I always find it, really nice <laughs> or kind of a surprise when guys start crying in anime um, shoujo anime mm-hmm. so yeah he starts crying because he feels kind of validated or kind of feels um i guess her love and how he finally has friends and wanted to feel uh, not so guilty about what happened that's basic gist of it i don't know i i think it, it's a really i feel like if you watch that scene after watching the whole show I'm pretty sure it would hit you in the feels and you'll definitely cry too. So I don't know if it's a romantic <laughs> scene, but I still feel like it's it's like emotionally packed. So, but yeah, that's my first pick from the Blue Spring Ride. There are definitely good moments in that anime, I feel like. Have you, either of you seen that or? No, sorry. <laughs> Why does Agnes sound so ashamed? No. <laughs> what was she saying? <laughs> because I don't watch that many romances anymore. I don't, and you said it's so small too. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I am ashamed. I am uncultured. <laughs> no, you just have different tastes. That's totally fine. We've talked about I don't want to weep. Mm-hmm. I don't want to look like a fool also crying Aww. along with these. Oh, so she would appreciate, you know, Haru grabbing... Wait, is his name Haru? So I didn't see oh, it because this was during the time Cole. in high school okay, where I, uh, I just didn't have time to watch anime. So, uh, so it's like my blank period where I don't really know about the anime during that time. But... I did see a lot of AMVs and clips on YouTube, so I kind of know what you're talking about because I've seen those scenes just with music over them because they're AMVs. Yeah, Agnes sounds like she would appreciate Haru covering her so that other people don't see her cry. <laughs> so <laughs> Maybe, maybe. I'll, I have to watch it to be the judge of that, but from what you described, Isabel, it does sound really cute. Yeah, it's really cute and comfortable because um, the idea of the show is like they kind of changed their personalities. So when they were in middle school, uh, Futaba was kind of like the cute girl and she attracted all this attention from guys. So she straight up didn't like that because all the other girls didn't want to be friends with her. Uh, okay. She felt upset about that. She wanted to change herself in high school. So what she did was that she started eating like a monster. She buys like, I don't know, 10 pieces of bread during lunch eats them all, stuffs her face uh, when some guy's like, hey, don't you think Futaba is kind of cute? And she's like, no, 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 no. You don't think I'm cute. I'm going to show you how I'm not cute. And like, <laughs> yeah. That That is me with all my friends as well. I'm like, mm-hmm. you think I'm cute? Eats like a whole tray of KBBQ. <laughs> <laughs> I actually find that really realistic though because obviously there's always going to be girls who want to be popular. They want to be in with the popular girls and stuff. But then there are other girls who sort of like pride themselves and not being the pretty girl you know and they sort of like lean into it hard and and just sort of 
kind of take it as their identity as well, which, you know, identity is a big thing for teenagers when they're growing up. In fact, that's the whole point of being a teenager is your brain is developing to understand your own identity. So I, I really like that part of the story. And overall, I, I do like any stories that sort of focus on how you've changed after a gap of time and you think you know each other, but you don't really because that's life. You know, you do change quite a bit as you're growing older and as you're going, growing more into yourself and stuff. So I think, I think that's a really cute premise and I like that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I recommend at least giving it a shot because I think it's one of the better romances I've seen and I'm definitely hooked on it, uh, especially when I watched it back in high school. And I think it's pretty realistic in terms of relationships and trying to understand each other and then, you know, just trying to find your real self. So I think that's what they focus on. All right. I will add it to the list. And good news, it seems like these romance sort of like stories are slowly coming back to anime. So that's really exciting as just a side tidbit I've observed. Mm -hmm. But okay, so if that's your first pick, what is your second pick? Which anime does it come from? You know, what is the scene? Yeah, so the second one, we've talked about a lot about this, but it's uh, Wotakoi. So okay. <laughs> Wotakoi's great. Yeah. <laughs> Hands down. I just want to talk about the kid. That maybe I don't know if it's the first kiss scene between them, but I'm pretty sure it is, where um, they're just hanging out in their room. Mm. Uh, where Hirotaka and Narumi, uh, I think they had a game, game night date with the other mm-hmm. two. And then uh, they kind of are just hanging out in the room. And they're just joking around. And then at some point, I think Hirotaka says something uh, about kind of reflecting on the past that they had as childhood friends. Like, oh, you've always been like that. And Narumi kind of apologizes. Oh, I'm sorry. I was that way. I didn't mean to. And (laughs) Hirotaka kind of just like grabs her. And it looks like he's going to slap her. Right. (laughs) Narumi's like, okay, just. No, I don't want to get punched, but you know what? I deserve it, so just do it. So you think it's going to be a really funny scene, but Hirotaka just kind of leans in and kisses her anyway. And Hirotaka she's like, is smooth. Yeah. He's a smooth criminal he man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then um, when, yeah, she, Narumi just freaks out, like, oh, I didn't know you actually wanted to do that. It's, it's, just, it's like a moment of like euphoria, and then they bring it back down to reality. And not only that, because it's a little awkward between them, they kind of bump heads. And, and keep in mind, this is all in, like, Hirotaka's place, I believe, or just, like, a regular bedroom. It's not anything, like, outside or, you know, with the Christmas lights or things like that. Right, it's not right, like yeah. a romantic mm-hmm. place. So I just thought it was super funny, and they they kind of, like, move on from it really quickly, too. Hirotaka looks up in his room. He's like, wait, why are my girl figurines, like, turned <laughs> yes. the other way? <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, it's like a moment, and then, um, you know, he they kind of bring it back down to what the heck is going on and kind of try to focus on other things. And Hirotaka just straight up says, you know, I'm just a guy. I just felt like doing it type situation. And Narumi's like, okay, sure. And then I feel like that's like the description of their whole relationship. And this is how it is. And then how she's also like, I don't, I don't want you to break your wrist or anything because you're a gamer too. <laughs> so, yeah, when she so was funny. trying to dissuade him from quote yeah. unquote slapping her. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love that scene. I've actually rewatched just that scene by itself so many times because mm-hmm. it was such a good balance of comedy and swoon worthiness, yeah. you know? So, 
And also, like, the whole setup to it was really good as well. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, because can you guys believe it's been more than a year now since we've been formed? But essentially, in one of our of one of our earlier episodes where we talked about healthy relationships and couples that, like, showed really healthy relationships, I mentioned Narumi and Hirotaka with a big reason as to this scene and specifically how it got set up, which is, when Hirotaka or Narumi realizes that Hirotaka had feelings for her or basically took the memories that they've had as a child, as a child when they were friends, a lot more seriously than she did. And she was really concerned about that because she thought it kind of made the relationship unfair because she obviously didn't remember a lot of the stuff that he did and he held very dear. And Hirotaka, you know, brushed it off and was like, oh, we were really different and, you know, you're a lot more extroverted and you're an otaku, but you're into other stuff as well. So you will, you know, have friends outside of just the otaku circle versus me. I'm just a gamer and that's all there is to it. So it totally makes sense why, like, it mattered more to me than you. But when Narumi continued talking and she was just like, I want things to be fair between us. And I mentioned how it was really important in relationships for that to happen because a toxic relationship sometimes will occur between like stories of or in real life relationships of like childhood crushes and stuff, especially if one of them didn't realize it than the other, because and this is an actual psychologist who said this. It's because the other person who's had that crush for so long is so further along in their emotional devotion to their partner than their said partner who did not have that crush that it leaves to uh, that it leaves a very imbalanced relationship that can potentially give a lot of power to either the person who didn't have that crush originally or um or it makes the other or it makes the one that had the crush a long time very clingy and possessive both examples of course being not a great relationship and going into toxic territory so it was really important that narumi actually notices that and then points it out and like says it out loud for hirotaka to see so even just the setup to that moment was just an a plus in my book already but then all the comedy stuff happened and you think like you know punch me okay (laughs) you know (laughs) and you think he is but then he just swoops in and steals that kiss it was it was very good i've rewatched that scene so often so yeah, <laughs> I'm a I'm a big fan. <laughs> Agnes, I know that you're a bigger fan of the other couple. So what did you think about that scene? I thought it was really cute because I did read it in the manga and also saw it in the anime. But because I know, I mean, Hirotaka and Narumi are a very good couple and I do support them quite a bit. But at the same time, my own bias for Hanako and uh, Kabakura kind of like top that. So I don't really think much about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's okay. Isabel and I will just swoon to ourselves for those scenes then. But excellent choices, Isabel. Did you have another one you want to talk about or are you ready to pass the baton? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to pass the baton. Who has it next? All right. Well, Agnes, it is your turn. I'm going to let you take it because I know you're a little worried since you didn't have a lot and I have plenty lined up. So I'd rather not poach one of yours is what I'm saying. So please go next. Okay. That, thank you for being considerate. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. I don't usually watch a lot of romance anime. I did read a lot of shoujo and jose on my free time when I was younger and also watch 
said shoujo anime when I was younger, but these days I don't gravitate towards that anymore. Maybe I will again in the future, but for now it's kind of just in a, a weird meh zone. But there are two animes that have very nice scenes that I really liked. Um, the first one I will talk about is from uh, Snow White with the Red Hair. Okay. Uh, Shirayuki Hime. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is both from a perspective of a manga reader and also from an anime watcher. It's that one scene between uh, Kiki and Mitsuhide where Kiki is leading a covert operation to steal onto the Sea Talon shift, uh, ship and to save Shirayuki and Kazuki. And when the ship runs aground and they're forced to fight on land, she's about to be slashed by an assailant and then Mitsuhide throws her sword at her and then joins her in the fight and he says, don't lay a hand on my partner. And I remember when I was younger, reading up to that part, I was like, okay, okay, I'm starting to see some vibes here. And then in the manga much later, it shows that Kiki has some very deep feelings for Mitsuhide. Oh. But it's kind of like in a similar scenario of Narumi and Hirotaka, where where Mitsuhide plays the role of Narumi, mostly oblivious to a lot of this that's happening, while Kiki has harbored a lot of affection towards Mitsuhide for the longest time. But she doesn't pressure him into a marriage. Rather, she says, we can remain as partners still. Uh, because she sees that Mitsuhide's devotion and loyalty is still to serving Zen as his bodyguard. And so at that point, I was like, okay, the hands off. That's just the most romantic thing ever <laughs> from, from somebody who's read the manga and then later saw it in the anime too. It's like, it's so deeply layered that I really enjoyed it more than just a base of like, oh, so cute over here. I was going to say, um, Mitsuhide, my man, you need to do a better job of, like, acting oblivious because you sure do flirt with her whether you he like does. her or not, yeah. so. The thing is, like, he when he has that weird personality shift that came on, I think, in season two, Kiki's, like, absolutely disgusted, <laughs> which is the most hilarious part. Oh, yeah, yeah, she had, like, that WTF face. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know, yeah, it's a really interesting relationship between the two of them, with Kiki mostly pining after Mitsuhide, but respectfully drawing her boundaries and understanding that right now he still does not comprehend about, like, love and things like that. And that also ties really deeply with the current plot that they were in of of carrying out their family's legacies and or to, you know, remain true to themselves. Unfortunately, Mitsuhide is too oblivious to notice that. I totally thought you were going to pick one of the many scenes that Shirayuki and Zen had. So- I thought so too. Okay, the thing is, it's like, I love, I love Shirayuki, Shirayuki and Zen, but my bias is towards Shirayuki and Obi, which will forever tear oh. my heart apart. Oh, from, like, the manga. She's, yeah. a, she's a doomed shipper is what she is, Isabel. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. uh, I'm a what? Oh, I said you're a doomed, a doomed shipper. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 I'm a doomed shipper. I don't know, like, well, going off of a tangent here, um, Zen and Shirayuki have, I think, a better chemistry in terms of because they're so they hang out with each other so much more than Shirayuki and uh, sorry, I'm getting my names mixed up. Sorry, Obi and Shirayuki are hang out with each other a lot more because Obi is entrusted as her bodyguard versus with Zen, it's more of like a long distance relationship, sort of. Yeah. It does, yeah. It feel, definitely feels like Yeah, that. so I've heard, I don't feel it as strongly. I mean, they do have some really cute scenes. I remember being younger, 
thinking that it was super cute. But I, as somebody who also has been catching up with the manga, Obi has a lot more scenes with her. And it's kind of heart-wrenching to watch. I see. Well, I actually do remember the scene you mentioned in the anime. And it was a really short moment. but It was a very short moment. It was sort of like, it was one of those moments where it's like the back-to-back badasses. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, I know what it is. It it was kind of like Roy and Riza. And when they fight Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Exactly, (laughs) yeah. You look at it, you're thinking to yourself like, oh, yeah, because in both the Japanese and the English dub, I just recently looked it up before we hopped onto this podcast, Mitsuhina says Aibo, which is like partner, Mm -hmm, right? As in like a platonic partner. And he also says it in the English dub too. He says, don't lay a hand on my partner. And so from the implication, you think of them as just really good friends or just really platonic like co-workers in a sense. But the manga is so much deeper than, and so much more deeply layered than that, that it just kind of wretches my heart apart. <laughs> I may not like romance as much, but I like tragedy. <laughs> mm. Oh my gosh. Yes, I see that. <laughs> yes, you can see that. <laughs> Which probably leads into my next ship as well, my next romantic pairing or scene that i really liked and it's from a recent show okay um it's from the given ova oh where okay akihito event when haruki goes to see akihito perform in the last part of the series of the ova he's really confused and then and he leaves and then akihito manages to catch up with him and basically confesses his love for haruki and says that he's been avoiding him all this time to practice his violin skills, to go see his parents again, because he wants to become a better man for Haruki. And I think at that point, I literally just melted into my chair, and I'm like, yes, yes, give it to me! (laughs) I'm, like, making an interesting observation, and let me know if you have an answer for Agnes, but you have a tendency to go gravitate more towards the supporting couples, don't you? I do, I do. I In general, I like supporting characters and couples more than the main. I think it's because I get kind of sick of looking at the main for too long, so... Oh. Wow, okay! <laughs> I, or either that or just because in story setups, the side characters usually have like a particular hobby, quirk, or backstory that's not fully develops i'm much more interested looking at them than the main couple or the main storyline okay i understand that i was admittedly a little concerned that you were going to say it was uh it was aki and his ex i forgot his name no 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 no. that is a poisonous that is an example of a very toxic codependent relationship right so what i was going to say is because when you first said that you know you like tragedy and so you're going to that and i was like that one was pretty tragic because it was... A- oh, no, 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 no. I meant, I guess, like, tragedy in the pining sort of way. Oh, that's okay. nice, mm-hmm. but not in the way that you're literally trying to backta- backstab and sabotage each other by making each other jealous. That is a low blow. I don't support anything like that, no. Okay, okay. Because I was going to say, it's kind of ironic because I remember you specifically picking those two for the toxic relationship episode and i was being like oh that's a good example because that was that was a rare case where neither of them were really abusive towards each other but it was just a bad relationship was all it exactly was. Yeah, yeah exactly like i sympathize a lot for akihito and his ex but it doesn't mean that i think that they were a good couple from the start okay okay cool so i'm glad that that was settled <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad that's out of the way because i understand like 
there's a lot of people who will will feel like, oh, but maybe Akihito should get back together with his ex. Like, look at his ex crying. But I'm just like, no, 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 his ex needs to move on. You know, listen to Mafuyu's words where he says it's, it's okay. That's why I cried, by the way. Oh, okay, oh. I see. I cried when the ex tries to reach out for Akihito, kind of like to cling, to grab back what was there. But then Mafuyu's words echo in his head saying, like, it's okay to take the next step. And I was just like, wow, that's so poignant. It's really nice. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you liked the OVA then. Good. (laughs) I did really like the OVA. I mean, the first half was rough to watch. It was pretty rough. I was like, Akihito, you're making bad decisions today, my boy. Um, And yeah, a lot of fans were pretty shocked about the the almost intended rape scene. I was like, "Mm, I'm glad Haruki stood up for himself though. Yes, yes, for sure. So something cute about that couple, since you did mention that scene, which is really cute, is in the manga, one of the uh, four comas, so it's like the little extras, Haruki has like an older sister and he texted her saying like he's with someone and his older sister is like oh is it a girl and he was like no it's a guy and she's like oh it's a guy like who is it and she was just so chill about it and she's like wait I want to like see him like send me pictures of him and stuff it was like a really wholesome sort of family interaction about uh, Haruki now dating Aki and I was like that's really cute (laughs) that is very cute oh man we support we stand families that support all different kinds of relationships. All right. So I think, oh, did you have any more? Sorry, I, I should have. Nope, like, that's it. Wow. <laughs> I came with the bare minimum this week. <laughs> it, <laughs> I was scrolling, you know, I scrolled through different anime charts to find like series that I've been watching that I really like romantic scenes and scrolling through the entire catalog of Crunchyroll and Funimation and Netflix, God forbid, <laughs> and oh, coming no, up with, with barely anything. And I'm like, okay. It's going to be two this week. It's going to be two this week. I was like, maybe you... I, I was like taking my guesses. I was like, maybe it's when Roy was like, you know, working. You know, I thought about it. I thought about going back to like Full Metal Alchemist and things like that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't be predictable, Agnes. You got you to add more than just Wotokoi or like Full Metal Alchemist because we all know they're, they're great relationships. <laughs> okay, that's fair. You want to surprise us and... I give you uh, your applause for that. So. Yes, thank you. I've done my homework. Great. Okay, now what's yours, Gracie? Wow, you're really excited. Okay, so um, my first one is going to be to no one's surprise. It's from Fruits Basket. I'm not going to talk about, uh, yes. you know, what Fruits Basket is. You guys know what it is. But it's actually, I don't think this is a scene a lot of people think about because Fruits Basket has lots of romantic scenes, which you both of you know since you've seen it. But The scene that got to me the most in regards to romantic is actually with Yuki and Machi. Mm. You guys might be guessing which one it is, but this and this scene is very interesting to me because I remember reading the full manga series, you know, in school, you know, how Isabel mentioned, like, you know, your school libraries will have the will have Fruits Basket and like the audios. Yeah. Yeah. So I was one Mm -hmm. of those and I like, you know, swallowed up Fruits Basket from my school library. And despite reading the whole series, the most romantic moment even reading it was this scene. And it just stuck with me all throughout the years. And continues to do so even after watching the anime. So the scene that I'm talking about is when Yuki breaks the chalk, when Machi and Yuki and the student council were having their meeting. So uh, what the scene was prior 
was basically Machi opening up for the first time. So this is after Yuki has gone through a considerable amount of character development, thanks to Toru and Kakeru especially, who I would argue is actually his first friend that he made on his own, separate from like any help from other people. And so he started to move on himself. He's starting to reconcile like his own, in, you know, conflicts and issues and becoming more confident and growing more into like who he is as a person. But Machi isn't quite there yet. But he obviously sees a lot of similarities between the two of them. And he realizes that Machi is terrified of perfection, like orderliness, which is why whenever she's in a classroom and alone, it's like this orderliness. She like messes everything up. She like throws the papers around. She sometimes trashes the furniture and stuff like that. And no one really knows why. And Kakaru certainly is a good half brother and doesn't push her to tell him why. But he knew he knew it has to do with her family trauma because both of them come from a soap opera family, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so but basically, uh, Yuki was the one who realized that there was a consistency when she has a breakdown and, you know, completely flips out. And it's always because when something is super duper orderly. And so he asked her, he was like, are you scared of perfection? And we learned that perfection on its own is a triggering thing because she spent her entire life being told by her mom and pushed by her mom and potentially even emotionally abused by her mom to be perfect. And she does everything that, you know, her mom tells her to do on what is defined as orderly and perfect. The ultimate, you know, ojo-san, I guess is the best way to put it. But then her mom has a younger brother and suddenly her family has like the heir, which Kakeru has also pointed out is super duper old fashioned thinking. But he's like, that's my dad. You know how it is. And so after she has her younger brother, suddenly her mom was criticizing her for all the stuff that she did because of her mom. She's like, Machi is so boring. She doesn't have a personality. It doesn't seem like she has any hobbies or like friends. And Machi is just like, this is what you wanted, though. I was doing everything that you told me to do. And now you're the one who says that I'm boring. So understandably, the orderliness, the perfectionism of it all is extraordinarily traumatizing for Machi and it triggers her, which is why she has that freak out whenever something like that happens. She basically has a panic attack every time this happens. And so she smashes everything and she feels this need to escape is what it is. And so and once again, this is a this is such a quick scene. But after Yuki learns that, you know, this is what's going on with Machi and why she will sometimes just screw the entire student council room up into like pieces or tear it up into pieces. He during one of the student council meeting, there was a box of chalk between them and Machi is just staring at this perfectly placed orderly chalk, which I you know, I find that satisfying when you see like all the chalk lined up perfectly and stuff. And I think a lot of people do. There's a lot of like those kind of videos where you see the thing fit perfectly. And you're like, oh, that's so satisfying, you know, but that's not the case for Machi. That is actually a huge trigger point for her. And so she's just staring at this box of perfectly laid chalk, but she knows she can't really move because they're in a meeting and it's already a huge problem when she messes everything up when it's with people who know her, much less, you know, in a room with like students that are just acquaintances and stuff like that. 
And without even like acknowledging it or even looking at her, Yuki just breaks off one of the pieces of chalk and starts using it while continuing his talking as a student council president. And you know he did that for her, that he saw and noticed that belt, that orderly chalk was triggering her and he did it without, you know, even having to mention or feeling like, you know, it's a big deal. And immediately it calmed her down because there was a jag in the layers of chalk. And she started to calm down because of that. And I I thought that scene, like that moment to me is just so touching and romantic. And because I've always, like, you know, I love a good romance scene. Like I love a good shoujo scene with the sparkles and like the kisses <laughs> and stuff like that. I'm not going to deny it. Like sometimes I see those scenes and I'm like fanning myself because I'm like, huh, I'm getting kind of like blushed up here, you know, sort of thing. But ultimately, it's like subtle moments of affection and love that gets me the most. And I even like see it with my friends. For example, I had a pair of friends in high school who were dating for a long time. They're actually married now, but something that. Oh, how cute. Yeah, you know, they're really cute. And something they mentioned in passing, like it wasn't a romantic thing for them. It wasn't a big deal. But they were both very tired. And I asked them, oh, my gosh, like, did you guys like have an exam or something like that that you had to study for? And they both said, like, oh, we were at each other's place, you know, writing scholarship essays and editing scholarship essays and, like, spent all night, you know, supporting each other, like, applying for scholarships so we can, you know, get through college with as little debt or as little, you know, spending as little money as possible. And I was like, that's so sweet. Like, I I just, I found that so romantic for some reason, even though to them it was, like, you know, totally chill and totally cool. And that's what I felt like with the Yuki chalk scene. Like, it's so small. It's so quick. But just how nonchalantly he broke off that piece of chalk for Machi because he knows it's triggering for her. And then continuing, like, there's nothing going on. There's no problem. That's the part that gets me and, like, hits me right in the heart. So that's the that's my scene that I picked from Fruits Basket. I'm kind of curious on what you guys thought of that scene, if you guys even remembered it, because that's just the one that I happen to latch onto. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a small scene. Like you said, when I see the chalk, I just think, oh, perfect, perfect box. Yuki, why did you break it? But, you know, knowing that it's for her and it's the small things just to make her feel more comfortable is really nice because they're, you know, they kind of notice each other and they also kind of share or at least they can relate to the trauma that they both have felt. But Yuki has been on, you know, a path of healing for longer because of Toru and everything. Um, And then getting past that and feeling obviously feeling the need to be perfect i mean yuki is also a victim of that or really you know he tries to he used to try to be perfect as well and kind of embracing that and showing machi that you know he she can come past her mask and you know make things a little bit more lively and really try to find her true self right which she wasn't able to do before because of all these things that were placed onto her so i feel like yeah like you said those it's those really small moments as well that are super romantic, even though, even though they don't look like it. So I feel like that scene is a good rep- representation of it at like the smallest value to me. Mm-hmm. Yay. What about you, Agnes? <laughs> what did you think of it? <laughs> I Now that I didn't think of that was going to be your most favorite romantic relationship, but now looking back on it, I can definitely see why. It's just very considerate of couples. And when you see like healthy married people 
and you see how considerate that they are with each other. You think back to the scene, you're like, that's how functioning couples work in general. I think back to my, um, uh, the two, two of my closest friends from college who are now medical students. They regularly visit each other, I think, every other week or so, and they study together. And since one of them was admitted to medical school before the other one, the other one would always like ask questions and stuff to help her out. And they would be really supportive of each other just studying through like step one and step two of, right, of yeah. um, med school. Yeah. So it's really heartwarming to see that and to see Yuki also support that very early on, especially right after he kind of broke off from the family and rediscovered himself too. Yeah. So yay, I'm glad you guys like though Isabel, you know, was bothered by the chalk breaking. She wants those chalk yeah. to stay the same in the, exactly. in the orderly position. I just thought I just thought it was very interesting. I think it's because I'm also a little bit of a chaotic kind of person as well. I don't like things to be extraordinarily organized. I like things to be a, a little bit chaotic, which probably explains why sometimes my room or other things is a mess for like half of the time before I get my stuff together and say, all right, you, you got to clean it at some point. <laughs> I'm not a stickler for ordinary or for orderly things. Well, now it's because oh. I want to be orderly. Sorry. Yeah. Because I have been telling myself to clean my room for weeks and it has not happened. Yay. <laughs> there you go. The adult See? life is in the back of your mind, knowing there's chores and thinking about it saps up the energy <laughs> to do the Oh god, I know. I was telling my mom, I keep telling this mom, my, this to my mom for the past couple of weeks because work has been stressful. And she also works too. So whenever we come home, like we never see each other. Mm. Like she'll be in a meeting, I'll come home and I'll be gaming and then I wake up the next morning, she's already off to work. Oh. And at one point I told her like, you know, we see all these dishes pile up, you know, we haven't vacuumed in a while. And I'm like, you know, it'd be nice if one of us, either you or me, could have been the housewife. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not to say, like, because, like, it's such, it's so hard to be orderly and make sure that things are clean when everybody works and you don't have time to even sleep at some points. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yes, I totally support the Machi and the Yuki ship a lot more than probably that I did when I was younger, when I kind of just skimmed through stuff and I didn't really understand the gravity behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Fruits Basket is a show enjoyed more I don't know like I think there's something great about stories where you can enjoy it as a kid but then you come back as an adult and you're like oh my gosh this is even better than I remember it being. oh absolutely so, yeah 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 all right so my next one I know you guys won't know about so I'll have to talk a little more just to explain everything the anime is Mars Red and I think you guys probably like seeing me talk about it briefly, but essentially it's a world where, you know, vampires exist. Yes, vampires are on the rise again. And I don't really mind, actually, because none of them are vampire night. But anyway, so no. <laughs> it is a curse on this podcast. Or diabolic lovers, actually. I should point that out. It's not Oh God, it's even worse. Um, but Mars Red is also um uh, it's also with uh, vampires but essentially what happens is when you get bit by a vampire and you get turned the government takes you under custody and put you under a special unit and you your family members get told that you are deceased and then another thing that happens is depending I think depending on how your body is sometimes 
your body will turn you into like a weak vampire and then other times it's a stronger one. So it's kind of a gamble really on what kind of vampire you become. But one of the characters and I'm, I should have remembered the name, but I should have done research on this. So, um, but one of the older characters, he was a, he got turned into a vampire, but he is a lot uh, weaker. So he didn't, he doesn't really have a lot of the vampiric powers that um, vampire. Oh, uh, Yamagami. So Yamagami doesn't really have any of like the big vampire powers that most of the vampires you would expect to have vamp- uh, powers to have. And it's like, it's kind of a funny, it's a running gag with him. But one of the youngin in the group, he's like super duper powerful. His body took to like the vampire bite really well. And it was, and the episode happened during a festival. And the festival was, and this is, this actually, this uh, festival was featured in Kubel and the Two Strings, if anyone has seen that movie. But essentially, it's a festival where you, you know, say goodbye to the relatives who have died during the year, and you light a lantern, you set them down the river. And there's a lot of superstitions around that particular festival. And every year, Yamagami's wife, she would, you know, light a candle and set it down the river. And it's like without fail. And she always does it, even if like no one in her family or his family had, you know, uh, died because she's doing it just to honor people who have died. And it was, and the Yanin told, thought of a really good idea for Yamagami because one of the superstitions is the reason why you're saying goodbye to them is that this is the day that the spirits who have died get to descend onto earth again and visit you. And at the end of the night, when you set the lanterns into the river, you know, that's when they leave the living realm and go back to the dead. And so the Yanin was like, oh, like, you know, this is a perfect chance to use that superstition on your wife. You know, uh, since I have the vampire powers where I can just like blink in and blink out so the human eye can't really see, I can like just make you suddenly appear in front of her. So you're like a spirit because officially he's dead and she already got a letter saying that, you know, he's died and they could not retrieve the body. And so he was like, I will make you just appear in front of her. And then when you guys are done talking, then you can I will just make you disappear in front of her, you know, and so you're able to like say your goodbyes because you were never able to talk to her. And I can tell that you really love her and you're thinking of her and, you know, you just want to have that last conversation with her. And you know, Yamagami was very thankful. He was totally down. And so that's what they did is he suddenly appeared in front of her. And lo and behold, she immediately assumed, you know, she and uh, the Yanin asked him ahead of Yamagami ahead of time. He's like, does your wife believe in these superstitions? He's like, yes, he she does, actually. So it would work very well because she would believe this. So, yeah, so he appears in front of her. And so and it's a little awkward because, you know, he hasn't talked to her in so long. and She thinks he's dead. But then she smiles and she's like, how's it been on the other side? He's like, oh man, like, you know, it's stressful. Like you think that it's better, you know, you would think it's better once you're dead, but really it's not. And it's funny because, you know, he's obviously still working, but as like a vampire unit instead. And so they have like a little bit of banter happening, but then after that, it like gets really quiet. She's just smiling at him. And so he goes, um, he was like that chair, you know, my favorite chair in the living room. Like, what did you do with it? And she was like, it's still there. Like every night when I read, I always sit in that chair because when I sit in it, I feel like you're here beside me and we are reading together. And then he also liked to play an instrument. So he was like, oh, you know, what about that particular instrument? And she's like, 
I still have it, you know, I play it sometimes just to make sure it's still alive, but you know, I'm not a musician like you, so I play it wrong in a lot of ways. And so, and then there's this pause and he goes, you know, I came here tonight because I wanted to tell you something, which is, you know, I want you to know that it is okay for you to remarry because the reason for it, the time period that this takes place is like like around the World War II era, except there isn't a World War II. And essentially what it is, and at that time, the um, women, you know, are still very financially dependent on their husbands. And so it was a big deal that he's died and, you know, she doesn't have that sort of like, you know, financial stability that she used to have when he was, you know, quote unquote alive. He So he told her, you know, he wanted her to know, like, I am okay if you remarry, you know, and he's like, and I am okay if you sell it, all my stuff, you know, like my chair, my instrument, like go ahead and sell it. If it means that you get to live a better life, a more comfortable life, like I wanted mm-hmm. you to be aware of that. And then instead she just smiles and she goes, I'm never remarrying and I'm never selling those things. I'm keeping them with me for the rest of my life. And and he was worried. He was like, no, like you you shouldn't like you really should think about yourself and like your future of, of like, you know, your finances and stuff. But before he could continue, she started quoting like the last paragraph of the novel that they were reading together before he got sent off and ultimately, you know, quote unquote died. And she was like, I'm still reading this novel and I'm continuing and finishing this novel for you. And so and it was, of course, a love novel or a love story, the novel. And she was just like, everything that the protagonist feels in this novel is how I feel towards you. And that will never change. So I am keeping those things and I am never remarrying and I will live my day every day until the day that I get to see you again. And so he kind of like tears up after she says that. And like the night was ending, Sue, so he knows he has to go anyway. And so she was like, will you visit me again next year? And then he was like, yeah, for sure. I will visit you every year until we see each other again. And she's like, perfect. That's exactly what I want. And then the Yunnan like whisked, um, whisked Yamagami out of there. And then the wife like set the lantern down onto the, onto the river and watched it go away. And she goes, see you soon. And that was the end of the scene. And I just... I don't know. I thought it was so romantic and it was sad, but it was just so beautiful at the same time. So, yeah, that's the scene. I hope I did a good job of describing it. You know, let me know if I did it. So, <laughs> Yeah, you did a great job. I did watch one episode of Mars Red uh, and then continue on with it. But knowing how it looks like and how what the characters look like, I can I can kind of understand how emotionally impactful that scene was really and how you described it i feel like i was like right there watching it or something do you like write this beforehand <laughs> i have no idea how you recall it so vividly but yeah the just like those little things that you know like what you imagine what a conversation you would have with someone that you know you loved or or a conversation between lovers and what they would talk about and of course he talks about his things that are still there mm-hmm. and they're considerate of each other so yeah that yeah, that scene is just kind of like that, the ones I feel like I see maybe in movies or kind of that everlasting yes. love mm-hmm. type scene. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Agnes? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm really conflicted on this one. Um, because I kind of see it in my own life between my, with my mom. So 
I'm kind of like, oh, okay, this makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, it's very, um, it's a little bit dangerous too when you continue to cling on to a lot of those things but not pursue your life happier afterwards. Which I hope the wife has done in Mars Red, or at least it's implied that even though she keeps a lot of the things from her husband, she's not like the grieving widow who continues to cling on to seeing him every single festival and not moving on with her life as well. Because I think that is also very dangerous. Yeah, I think from what we've seen of her later is that she still like is living comfortably. The best thing is Yamagami has a lot of friends. And so a lot of the friends would often come visit her. And she also has friends of her own. I get what you're saying, though. I like that is a type of danger for sure. But I'm it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Betty White, which, you know, rest in peace. So Betty White, her husband, her last husband died several years, like quite a bit of time before her. And she, you know, was at an age where she could very easily meet someone new and remarry and her and her response back when people were like, you know, why don't you ever consider it was when you've, you know, when you've spent time with the best, why would you ever, you know, how would anybody else compare? Oh, no, absolutely. No, no, I don't disagree with that because my mom is basically the same way as well. But I think because at one point when you're a widow for so long, there are times when it gets really dark for you. and you start becoming, some parts of it will slip and you start becoming a little bit codependent on, you know, seeing them again. Mm. Yeah, I I don't want to, like, put, like, a super damper mood on it, but that's why I feel a little bit conflicted over the scene because, yes, it is very touching and, yes, it is very poignant and very romantic and it does reflect in real life, too. But, so as long as you don't slip off the other edge because that can actually happen very quickly. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, you speak from more personal experiences than me or Isabel. So. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I speak from more personal experience. Yeah. (laughs) But I can definitely see why people are like, oh my God, it's so romantic. It's so loving, you know, the everlasting love that persists after death. I think what I like best about this particular scene is, first of all, it wasn't between two young people. Yamagami was like in his 50s I would say so you don't usually see these sort of romantic scenes you know with older characters is the first thing so that stood out to me the second thing that did get to me of course is actually more of Yamagami when he you can tell that it pained him to like imagine like his wife be with someone else especially because he is still alive you know like he's not dead right right, right. that's Mm -hmm. that's the actual difference he's actually alive. yeah like he's actually alive but the fact that even though he's actually alive he explicitly wanted to talk to her because he wanted her to know that she like like she is okay to move on that she shouldn't feel tied down by him and that whatever Mm. it means to make her happy is what's most important to him i'm like oh like that's a good husband you know right there who because you know i like i don't think that you know a lot of people would deny that there's a small part of them who feels like they hope that they're the one great true love as bad as it is and there's like a part of human nature that really wishes it and certainly 
love stories really like to harp on it. But it, this is like, mm-hmm. but this time, no, it's the husband who is actually alive but has to pretend to be dead that was like, no, I want you to move on. If remarrying, selling my stuff, all that stuff, as long if it makes you more comfortable, more stable, more happy, please do it because that's what I want. I want what's best for you. And so that's the part that always gets me. And, and it's just like, yeah. So... <laughs> All right, so that is also my two. I don't have anything else, so... I'm surprised. I thought you would have had come up with something else for it. I do have a lot lined up, obviously. Like, I could talk about the scene with, you know, Shiayuki and Zen, and when Zen, like, kissed her. I mean, why not? We have, like, we have a couple minutes. <laughs> well, I don't want to talk about it at the same time, because, like, the, the scene where Zen kisses her neck, and, like, I my face turned red as a, a tomato. Like, I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. The rare smut occasion that you see pop up in the shoujo. That's why we all get a bit flustered. Oh my gosh, but it's so good though, isn't it? <laughs> so- <laughs> I, it, it was pretty good, yeah. It's good, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Alright, so with that being said, I do have to ask you, Agnes, have you recovered your memories some, you know, because we left off at a very ghostly place in like a creepy monastery at night, so, you know... Have you remembered? Yeah, that? you know, uh, going back, you know, kind of diving myself back into work uh, really helped clear my my brain a little bit, helped me remember bits and pieces. So as I was following the weird, creepy, ghostly singing in the monastery, I come out to this open hall where I see a woman with sli- silvery blue hair singing to this music, wherever it's coming from. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's coming from somewhere. And it's in a language that I don't understand it doesn't sound french it doesn't sound english it doesn't sound vietnamese i have no idea what she's saying and then all of a sudden she notices me and she suddenly screams in fright and i'm like totally taken aback i'm like who who screams is she a banshee i don't know (laughs) and and i snap out of it and and throw whatever's on the ground at her um, I don't know what I had on me. Maybe it would have, it was some, some kind of like stray rubble that I had picked up earlier to arm myself. And then at the same time that I threw it at her, she threw something at me. And then it became like this really chaotic screaming of two women tossing things <laughs> at each other for self-defense purposes. And it, very creepy place alone at night. It's just the two of us. And at one point, now that I think about it in retrospect, it's kind of comedic. It's kind of like that weird anime scene where like, you know, a girl's like in a shower and the guy like accidentally pokes in and she like tosses everything in the bathroom at them. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same thing with me, except it's in a more horrific situation. I'm like imagining the twins in Oran High School Host Club when they were like fighting with each other. They were just tossing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that scene too. Yeah, exactly like that. There's just so many things that's going on at the same time. And at one point, you know, we stop having things to throw at each other and it comes to a standstill. I'm panting. She's also panting. We're out of breath. And... It's very awkward. It eventually becomes silence, and she breaks the silence by talking and apologizing for reacting that way. And she uh, and she apologizes in a language that I recognize. I don't remember what it was at the time, but somehow I understood her. And she says, and she asks me, so what are you doing here so late at night? As if I was some kind of resident that popped out of nowhere, right? And because I don't remember anything, my memory's been zapped at that point, I can only reiterate my name and tell her straight up, I don't know how I got here. And she somehow 
understood that I was very lost in this place and asked if I had actually lost my memories, which I did concede. And she was suddenly concerned. She said, it's late, so it's not safe for you to wander about with no memories. And well, obviously, I'm a little bit confused still. And I said, well, what about you? Like, what are you doing here? And she says, well, I'm here because I want to be here and I have my own self-defense as if she's not, you know, uh, some helpless maiden in the middle of a, a very haunted Yeah, that monastery just screamed that when she scared you. <laughs> right? Yeah, she yeah. just screamed and started tossing things like an innocent maiden. And I'm like, girl, you're in no position <laughs> to talk. <laughs> and so, and then we end up bantering about it because I'm very much, like, I am somebody who's always ready on the go. Um, if I need to pick up a weapon, if I need to arm myself, if I need to defend myself, I can do it so readily, but I'm more, I'm usually a lot more concerned about other people who could not react as quickly as I do. So we kind of banter about it for a little while. And then she suddenly says, well, if that's the case, and we're both stuck here, let me help you get your memory back. And I'm like, okay, how are you going to do that? <laughs> you know, you, you don't have magic on you, right? And then she claims that she's a mermaid, which I blink my eyes in stupefaction, like, you're literally in the middle of an open hallway. How are you not dying from out of the, being out of the water? Right? I don't believe her for a single second. Um, but she continues to talk anyway, and I keep my mouth shut. And she says she has one, one of her sisters has healing powers, and that she could ask her sister to heal my mind. And I suddenly have this image of, you know, like in the Avatar The Last Airbender, Katara does, uh, kind of like this healing to a brainwashed jet. Uh, with her like healing water healing style bending style so i thought of that for a second and i'm like i guess sure i don't know what i'm consenting to at this point because there there's really nothing that can help me with my memory and then at that point out of nowhere she suddenly like swooshes up into my vision and then she kisses me like straight on the lips and i'm like i'm like blinking i'm like whoop whoops and then when i push her away and ask what the hell did you do that for she simply responds so you can breathe underwater. I don't want to drown you, of course. It's the power of the mermaid kiss. And then right when she says that, there's like this huge roar of water that crashes like a tidal wave through the open orifices, windows, and doorways of this monastery that floods the entire hallway. And then I feel something hold onto my air, my hand as I struggle to breathe and, you know, naturally swim up to some kind of surface. But there's a tug and then I'm suddenly pulled down and down and down into the depths until it goes black once again. And that's where we'll end there because I'm still a little bit foggy up until that point because it's it went black. But otherwise, yeah, that, that's the, the next interesting segment of my you story. You have been just running into magical beings left and right or some kind of suspicious beings. So. Yeah, a lot of really suspicious people who apparently want to create a harem out of me. <laughs> I have no idea. I just want to go back home, work in my fuzz sweatshop, and hope I get back my citizenship in the U.S. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to us today. I hope you guys are excited with, you know, Agnes's increasingly chaotic French disaster. <laughs> yes, it's increasingly chaotic. And I hope you enjoyed us talking about the most romantic scenes in anime. So I hope you will be with us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.